Thank you, Brandon. Hope that's the desire of your heart this morning. There are many things our hearts could be desiring, many passions that we may have. May the cry of our heart, the desire of our heart, or our passion be for the person of Jesus Christ and, and Him alone. Please turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to, Lord willing, a complete chapter 5 this morning. We have been working our way through the book of Ephesians uh, as a church since we became a church in September, and we are going to continue to, to do so. We've been in that portion of Ephesians dealing with the family, and we've been looking at the role of a husband and the role of a wife over the past few weeks, and we're going to continue to look at the, the role of a wife this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to, again, Lord willing, uh, com complete that this morning. And if you would, please stand with me as we read Ephesians 5. And we're going to read this, uh, this portion, beginning in verse 22. We're going to read the whole thing as we complete this, this section of Scripture this morning. Uh, Paul says this, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it relates, refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You may be seated. May we be encouraged by the reading of God's word and strengthened this morning. Let me pray. Father, you know the desire of our heart, our hearts this morning. You know that there are so many things that we desire. Father, forgive us for the love of the world that, that sometimes exists within our heart. And Father, remove it, remove those things that, that distract us from you, the love of material things, the love of prestige, the the love of responsibility and the esteem of others. and Lord, remove all those, those loves from our hearts and, and give us you. Give us a, a passion for your son Jesus and may our, our love for you consume us. We know that the love of the world and the love of you cannot coexist with, within our hearts. And Father, let our love be for you and you alone. As we continue to, to think about your will for our lives, let us find fulfillment in no other plan for us but yours, and give us gracious, loving hearts this morning as we consider what your word has to say to us. I pray for 
every person in this room, no matter what situation in life they find themselves, that they would be encouraged as they think about this relationship between a husband and a wife. And Lord, my heart is especially burdened for, for wives who may find themselves in a situation where uh, they don't have a husband who loves them the way that you've called husbands to love their wives. And so give them especially your grace to be obedient in these difficult uh, tasks that you've called them to. We pray that they experience your joy as they do so, and I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Malcolm Gladwell has written a book entitled Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking. Essentially, the book is about the ability, of the, the tendency of, of people to make snap judgments, their ability to intuitively make decisions. And the goal of the book is to help people make these intuitive decisions better. One case that uh, Gladwell talks about in his book, Blink, is about Professor Gottman's research. Uh, Professor Gottman is Professor Emeritus of Psychology at the University of Washington, and what Professor Gottman has the ability to do is he's developed this model, and the model can predict with a 90% success rate which couples will get divorced within four to six years. He takes this model, observes couples interacting with one another, and with 90% accuracy can predict which couples will be married in four to six years and which couples will be divorced. The remarkable thing about Professor Gottman's work is that he doesn't spend months interacting with these couples. He doesn't spend many sessions or, or weeks or, or days or even hours. What Professor Gottman can do is he can look at a video clip of couples interacting with one another for about three minutes. And based upon that three minutes worth of observations, he can predict 90% success rate, which couples are still married within four to six years. Gladwell says that he took, the, he took these same videotapes that Professor Gottman viewed, took 10 of them, viewed them himself, and, and said he was just barraged and overwhelmed by all the, the data that was out there. He said, you know, in three minutes, there were so many things that were said. There, was, there were so many uh, sarcastic remarks and biting comments. And he said he just got overwhelmed with all the emotional responses that were going on there. And he said he predicted successfully 50%. Okay, so essentially he could have just flipped the coin and done just as well. So he, he looked at Professor Gottman's model, and he found that there were kind of four main traits that Professor Gottman identified as critical in determining whether or not a couple would remain together. Uh, if he saw defensiveness, stonewalling, criticism, or contempt, Professor Gottman would become very concerned. Uh, particularly, the, the most decisive factor that Professor Gottman's research found, the most decisive factor in determining the health of a marriage, according to, to his research, just observationally, was the presence of contempt in a relationship, disregard for it, a disrespect of. Whenever Professor Gottman found strong contempt in a marriage, he said it was just a, a huge warning sign. Uh, essentially, what Professor Gottman's research has done, this observational science has done, is confirmed what Scripture has told us, right? As we've been going through the book of Ephesians, particularly this section, talking about the goal of marriage, we've seen that the goal of marriage is what? Oneness, exactly. I didn't have to pretend that time. I really did hear it. Uh, the goal of marriage is oneness. And we 
as we pursue oneness, husbands and wives each together come together to pursue oneness, uh, contempt is something that is, is it would be a huge barrier in that pursuit of oneness, right? Husbands, we've seen that, that our role that Scripture gives us, that God gives us in His Word, is to pursue oneness through sacrificially loving our wives. And we are to sacrifice of ourselves in order to pursue oneness in this marriage relationship. And wives, wives, we've seen that, that a, a godly wife pursues oneness in marriage by seeking the honor of her husband. And so both the husband and wife uh, sacrifice of themselves, put their own interests secondarily, and, and pursue that, that oneness. Now contempt, contempt, Professor Gottman's research showed, was a, a huge barrier to oneness. And we could talk about many of the reasons why that is so, but, but wives, think about it just in context of what God's Word tells you about your role in marriage. You're to be pursuing oneness by seeking to honor your husband. And God has put you, I believe, in a very difficult role that can only be done through the work of His Spirit within your life. And sometimes in an authority relationship or a, some sort of structured relationship, when one party becomes, uh, when, one, per, when one, one party submits themselves to another, the tendency of the human heart can be to, to begin to feel contempt for that person. And a wife can rightly question, why should I submit to him? What makes this guy so great? And contempt can very easily creep into that relationship. We're going to look at what God calls a, a godly wife to do. We're going to look at, at several aspects of, of what a godly wife should do. We're going to look at this idea of respect and submission and what those terms really mean. And, and we're going to see, again, that a godly wife pursues oneness in marriage by seeking to honor her husband. Remember some of the things we've already talked about as far as what a godly wife is to do. Uh, first of all, we've seen that a godly wife finds fulfillment. She finds fulfillment in God's plan for her life. We've also seen that, that a godly wife helps her husband in his God-given ministry. We've seen that a godly wife cleaves to her husband, and we've seen that a godly wife works in her home. That is, that, that the home becomes the primary sphere of ministry that all other ministries kind of emanate from. Seen scriptures, instructions regarding those areas. Well, now let's turn to our attention, our attention to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll look at this fifth characteristic. A godly wife submits to her husband. A godly wife submits to her husband. Now, remember, I told you this uh, several weeks ago, and I reiterated it last week. There are two books that I've, I've been uh, using a lot as I've thought about applications of these principles here, and one of the books is by Stuart Scott, and it's called the Exemplary Husband, and the other book is the, is the Excellent Wife by Martha Peace. And if you're looking for some resources to kind of help you explore these, these issues further, I, I'd commend both of those books to you. And I, I've used them a lot as I've developed some applications. When I use them, I try to cite them, but I've used them so often in premarital counseling and uh, just in, in talking with people that sometimes I may be citing them and not I may be referring to them thinking that I'm saying something that I came up with that they came up with. So if I'm guilty of plagiarism, just you know, let the record reflect right now that anything I say they could have said. Probably better. But anyway, uh, so anyway, Ephesians 5, let's, let's read, the, let me read 22 through 24 again. Godly wife submits to her husband. It says this in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, 
his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What is Paul saying there? What we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at that instruction, what those words mean, especially the words submit. Then we're going to look at, at five things that this does not mean, five things that this instruction does mean, and then four things that this instruction does mean for the wife. First of all, what does the word submit even mean? Uh, the word submit means to, to place oneself under. It, it means to be in subjection to. It means to, to recognize an authority structure or, or to obey. And so you may have heard this, this illustration before, but it, it refers, the word can refer to what a, a soldier does. A soldier in the army places himself underneath the authority of his commanding officer. So Paul uses this word in other places as well. For example, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, he uses the word submit. He says that the mind that's set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, that it does not voluntarily come underneath the authority of God's law. It says, indeed, it cannot. Romans 13, as it's talking about the believer in relationship to government, uh, Paul uses the word submit again. He says one must be in submission, not only to, to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And so the idea is there, there is that a believer, as he thinks about or she thinks about her role in relationship to government, voluntarily places herself or himself underneath the authority of that government structure. That's what the word means. Notice again that Paul is using this model of Christ and the church. As we looked at the role of the husband, we saw that, that a husband is to model Christ-like servant leadership in his marriage relationship, and that's not leadership as the world understands leadership, it's leadership as Christ displayed, and a Christ-like husband is to exercise leadership as he serves his wife. He's to model Christ to his wife. Now we see that the wife is to, to model the church. And she, just as the church submits to the leadership of Christ as he serves and leads the church, the wife submits voluntarily to her husband's leadership as, as he leads her. This, this is God's design for the family. It's a model of the relationship between Christ and his church. Uh, now let's look at some things that this instruction, first of all, does not mean. The first thing that this instruction does not mean is that a husband has absolute authority in the marriage relationship. Uh, Paul is not saying that a husband has absolute authority. Uh, no human has absolute authority over another human being. All of us stand first and foremost accountable to God. Galatians 3.28 talks about how we're, we're, we are, are equal in the eyes of God in, in terms of, of spiritual relationship. Uh, a person, a husband, does not have absolute authority over over anyone, including his wife. God's authority is absolute, and God's authority always trumps every other authority. And so any sort of situation in which a husband would give his wife an instruction that's contrary to God's revealed will would be an instruction that, that the wife says, look, that's not your realm. Think about the Hebrew midwives. They re refused to obey Pharaoh whenever he told them to, to kill the, the Hebrew children. Or you can think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they refused to, to bow to the graven image that, that Nebuchadnezzar had, had, had fashioned. And so there are limits to a husband's authority. So Paul is not saying here that a husband has absolute authority. There are times when a, a wife can and should refuse to submit to her husbands in those areas that are contrary to God's revealed will. So for example, if a, we were talking about this as a, a family last night. We always talk about the, the sermon on Saturday nights. 
And our kids brought up some examples of a situation in which a wife should not follow the leadership of her husband. So if he told her not to go to church, or if he told her to not discipline the, the children, or to, to not pray for the kids, or as, as my son said, if he told her to go kick someone, uh, that would not be a situation in which she should be in, in submission to that, of course, depending upon who she was told to kick. Um, if it's a bad guy, maybe, that would be a, an okay person to kick, right, a bad guy? Um, so that, that's not what the authority, that's not what, uh, that's not what the instruction is saying. It's not saying that a husband has absolute authority. It's also not saying that the husband is, is more, the second thing that's not saying here, I believe, is, is that a husband is, is more gifted than his wife. It's not saying that he's better than her in any way, that he's more intellectual or, or has uh, greater spiritual abilities or, or is more handsome. You know, we're all equal before, before God. We all have these, these uh, we are all spiritually equal before, before God. And so it's not talking about any sort of supremacy that the husband has. The third thing that he's not saying is that a wife gives up independent thought. And when he says, uh, wives, submit to your husbands, he's not saying, uh, wives, think the same things that your husband thinks. Uh, sometimes I think that, that some believers have such tender consciences and they're, they're so desirous of, of being in submission to their husbands that, that sometimes they, they feel like, well, my husband thinks this about the weather, but if I begin to think this over here about the weather, then I, I won't be in submission. Or, or my husband has kind of these thoughts about how we should, should uh, raise our children. And, and, you know, and he's talking about implementing these types of disciplines. And, boy, I kind of think something totally different, but I must be wrong because I want to be in submission. That's not what Paul is saying either. Uh, submission does not mean giving up independent thought. Uh, quite the contrary. For a godly woman, the model of how she thinks is not her husband, but who? We're told to have the mind of Christ. Think about Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so the goal of a, of a godly wife is not to think the same things as her husband. The goal of a godly wife is to think the same things that, that Christ thinks. And ideally what happens is that a godly wife and a godly husband both want to be thinking the things that God thinks, and they, they sharpen one another and encourage one another to, in, in their thinking. So in, in my marriage relationship, Whitney is a person who has very great giftings and given by God and, and be able to think through things. And as we discuss an issue, I, I think one thing and, and she kind of thinks another sometimes. And as she talks about it from God's perspective and, and I, kind of, I said, well, what about this passage of scripture? And we kind of reason it together and we, we come up with a solution, a perspective on things that I believe is closer to, to what God's perspective would be than if we just thought things independently. And so what Paul is saying here is, is not that a husband has absolute authority. He's not saying that, that husbands are intrinsically better in any way than their wives. He's not saying that a wife gives up independent thought. He's also not saying that a wife should submit to all men. Notice what he says here in the text. He says it's a very specific instruction for a specific relationship. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so it's limited to this relationship between herself and her husband, and it's for the structure of that family alone. The fifth thing that he's not saying here is this, that, that a wife has no ability to influence her husband. 
So sometimes a wife may say, well, uh, my husband wants to do this, and, and God's word says that I, I should be in submission to him, and I, I may not think that that's the right thing to do, but, but you know, I don't want to, I don't want to not be in submission to my husband, so I won't say anything, and that's certainly not what Paul has in mind. Scripture gives us many examples of how a person can remain in submission to another person and yet still influence them. Uh, for example, uh, we pray for a person who disagrees with us or who's in the wrong. We can pray for them. We can, can have a, a quiet, gentle spirit. Oh, a wife can. She can re- respond with, with soft answers to her husband. She can also speak the truth and love to him. Uh, when a husband is in sin, the wife has a responsibility before God. She has a responsibility before God to reprove him. Matthew 18 tells us that. And so if a, a wife sees her husband strained from the truth, she has a responsibility to say, look, this is what God's word says you need to be doing, and you need to do it. If, it con- if he continues in sin, the wife can also influence her husband through the, gov- through the church. Bring it before the church and say, look, church, this is what my, my husband's continuing in the sin, and I, I, I fear for his soul, and so I need you to come alongside me and, and help hold him accountable to these things. A godly wife can also influence her husband through the government. And sometimes if a husband is doing something that is, that is illegal, the wife has the responsibility to remove herself from, uh, from protecting and shielding her husband and allow the, the, the government to, to bear its, its sword upon her husband. Romans talks about, about that idea that the, the, the government wields a sword against those who do evil. So when we talk about a woman being in submission to her husband, especially think about it in this instance, if a woman is ever in any sort of physical danger or her children are in physical danger, uh, submission does not mean that a wife remains in a situation in which she and her children would be in, in physical danger. She removes herself from that physical location and allows the, the government, the officials, to deal with things in a way that will influence her husband for his own good and for the good of, of herself and the children. So none of those things are, are what submission means. Those are five things that the instruction that Paul gives here uh, do not mean, but sometimes have been wrongly interpreted to say that they mean. Uh, what is Paul saying? Well, first of all, I think he's saying this. Uh, first of all, he's saying that, that, a, that a godly wife decides to follow her husband's leadership. Notice that, as we've said before, as we've talked about the role of the husband, nowhere does Paul say, uh, husbands, uh, make your wives submit to you, or, or husbands, convince your wife that, that you're right and you, she should do what you say. That's never what Paul says. It's not the responsibility of, of a husband uh, to, to force leadership upon his wife. What a, what a godly wife does is she decides, she decides that to follow her husband's leadership. The command is given to her. She gives him primacy in, in the relationship. It also means, secondly, that she em- embraces his leadership. Uh, she, it says here, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so just as, just as the church joyfully submits to Christ, the wife is not half-hearted in her decision to, to follow in her husband's leadership. Uh, she does it with, with great joy and support of him. The third thing that I think this instruction means is this. She recognizes the extensiveness of his authority in her life. The text is very clear here. Uh, it, says, it says that the relationship here is modeled after the relationship between Christ and his church. It says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church, verse 24, 
Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That word everything is very extensive. And so a wife voluntarily places herself under the leadership of her husband, recognizing the extensiveness of that leadership. Now those of you who are are single, uh, this verse should give you great pause. (laughs) And as you think about the type of person that God would call you to marry, think very carefully, look, I'm giving this person extensive authority over my life, extensive influence over my life, and I want to be very careful that I choose a, a godly man who will follow the, the role of, a, of what God says a godly husband should, should do. Remember, as we talked about this from the perspective of the husband, what do we see? The husband is to be pursuing oneness as he pursues what's best for his wife. And so his concern is no longer what's best for himself. His, his goal in leadership is to constantly be, be thinking about what's best for his wife, and he's, he's passionate about pursuing what's best for her. And so Young ladies who are single, as you think about pursuing marriage, and you think about the type of submission that God is calling you to, says in everything, your desire should be, look, I, I want to marry someone whose passion is for me, <laughs> who is passionate about the glory of God and pursues the glory of God by pursuing what's best for me. Now, again, the, the caveat here is if it's in sin. If there's something sinful that a husband asks his wife to do, that is totally outside the realm of his authority. So the husband says, you know, I'd like you to, 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 to cheat on the income taxes with me. And I've, I've kind of made some financial decisions here, and, and uh, I kind of reworked some numbers. Now, please sign on this line to, to, to validate what I've done. You say, I can't do that. If he asks her to, to do something immoral, the wife says, look, I can't be a part of that. And so the wife's submission is extensive in everything except sin. Now, uh, here's here's the obvious question. What is a wife to do in a situation in which she believes that her husband is making a very poor decision? It's not necessarily an issue of of sin or or not sin, but it's it's a decision that she doesn't believe is, is very wise. How does a wife maintain a submissive spirit and following his leadership, you know, at the same time, say, look, I want to appeal this. Now, this I, I do know is from, this is a Stuart Scott's uh, recommend, recommended pr- procedure. He calls this the, the appeal process. And let me kind of lay out some things that, that he suggests. Uh, so let's say, for example, the husband comes home and he says, uh, honey, I've got a, a great new business idea. And his wife says, oh, uh, this sounds great. Um, what is it? He says, uh, I'm going to, to buy a giraffe. And his wife says, well, um, really? He says, yes, uh, a giraffe, uh, they're tall, and uh, people like tall things, and they like to pay money to come see tall things. So I'm going to purchase a giraffe, maybe even two, and we'll, maybe we'll start a, a, you know, a giraffe business, selling giraffes to zoos and having the kids come uh, climb on the giraffes and things like that. Uh, it's a great, we need the second in- income stream. And I want our family to be financially secure. The wife says, in, in her mind, she thinks, wow, that is, one of the, that is one of the dumbest ideas I have ever heard in my entire life. But I recognize that there's, there's, uh, God has placed a structure in our marriage relationship. All human institutions have structure. I, I want to be in submission to the structure that God has placed in my life. How do I appeal this decision? The first thing is to examine motives. 
And sometimes in a marriage relationship, the, the, the motive can be, look, I want to show my husband what an idiot he is. And we're going to have this, we're, I'm going to, to prove to him that, uh, you know, he, he's just a fool and he would do a lot better to listen to me. So first thing, a wife says, look, I, as, as we have this discussion, I need to make sure that my motive is the glory of God. And I want us to be closer, I want us to be more one at the end of this discussion than I am at the beginning of this discussion. My goal is not to make him feel stupid. My goal is not to, to, to run him down. My goal is the glory of God. So a wife, as she begins to appeal this, begins the appeal process, has a motivation that is the glory of God. Uh, she also, as she, as she begins this appeal process, has a respectful form of communication. And I believe that there are, are some general principles that, that are, are true for any interaction. You know, you're not using words like always or never, using respectful forms of communication. And, and depending upon the relationship, those the things that you know that your spouse doesn't like you to say kind of, kind of shift and change. And uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but, but um, sarcasm is, is not a, a great tool of speech for me to use with my wife. She doesn't find that a very helpful or very uh, um, uplifting form of communication. Okay? And so I, I have to guard against sarcasm in a conversation. Uh, so we, a wife, as she's talking to her husband about this giraffe that he's planning on purchasing, uh, says, look, my motive is the glory of God. I want us to be closer at the, at the end of this conversation than at the beginning. I'm going to use respectful forms of communication, and I'm going to consider other means to meet his stated, stated, stated objectives. So my husband says uh, he wants to, to uh, bring in an extra income into the family, so I might have some other ideas that don't involve zoo animals in order to, to reach that stated objectives. So that's, that's one thing that, that a wife does as she appeals the decision that's made. Uh, she does it as, at the proper time. Uh, she doesn't, you know, Whitney knows that uh, Sunday morning, right before, uh, right before uh, Sunday services, not a great time to bring up a major issue in our life. You know? As I'm getting up to, to come up here, she's going to say, hey, we need to talk about the kids. You know, not a good time, all right? A wife knows that the proper times to have a conversation. As Scott mentions that, that a wife attempts it at the right time, and she does it in a spirit of submissiveness as well. Uh, so those are, those are all some things that, that a, a godly wife is going to do as she goes through this appeal process with her husband. The last thing here that the instruction does mean is that the wife does choose to glorify God. And as she submits to her husband, she recognizes this. It's ultimately not her husband that she's submitting to. Verse 22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so it's not about the abilities. It's not about the giftedness of that individual, of her husband. She doesn't say, well, my husband's a, a really a great planner, so I'm going to submit to him. She doesn't say, well, he's, he's really good looking, so I'm going to submit to him. He's an amazing leader, so I'm going to submit to him. She says, look, this is the authority structure that God has placed in my life, and he's working through my husband as an imperfect an instrument as my husband is. And my submission is not ultimately to this guy. It's ultimately to God. And I trust God to work in such a way through my husband as to protect me as well as I choose to be obedient to him. What the instruction means is that a wife glorifies God as she submits to an imperfect person trusting in a perfect God. 
Now, this is just between us friends, right? Okay, this, this stays in this room. Right. Um, whenever we began the, talking about the church plant many years ago, I had a timeline laid out in my mind. I thought I knew that the, the best timeline for the church plant. If my timeline had been followed, the church plant would have been planted many years ago. But my church leaders had a different timeline in mind. And even though I may have disagreed with, with some of the, the logic they were using to reach their conclusion, I knew there was no, there was no sin involved in the decision they reached. There was uh, nothing uh, inappropriate, nothing sinful about, about their, their decision itself. And so I said, look, this isn't the decision, you know, if Daniel Bennett were in, in charge of the world, not the decision I would have reached, but I recognize that this is the decision my leaders have reached, and I need to be in submission to them because ultimately it's God who's made this decision, not me. And I could disagree with their logic, and yet at the same time, I understood, look, there's a higher logic here. God's the one in charge of this, and if God wants the church plant to happen sooner, God's going to change hearts. And if God doesn't want the church plant to, to start sooner, he's not going to allow it to. And none of, my, uh, none of my frustration with that is going to change it. And of course, God's plan was, was perfect. My path was clear to submit joyfully. The goal of submission, the goal of submission is the glory of God. It's 1 Peter 3, you can just write that down and read through that. It's, it's to, to be beautiful in God's sight for a wife. It's to protect herself by being in obedience to the authority of God's place. It's to influence her husband. 1 Peter 3 is, is a beautiful picture there of, of the influence that a wife has as her goal through submission. And ultimately to proclaim the gospel, sometimes to her husband, always to the world. I'm going to send out an, an email this week that talks about some practical examples of submission. I don't have time to get into all of those, but they're from a Martha Peace's book, The Excellent Wife. Here's some examples that, of, of lack of submission. Uh, a wife does things intentionally that are annoying or, or vexing to her husband. That indicates a, a lack of submission, purposeful. It says that she argues or pouts or gives him the cold shoulder when she does not get her own way. She does not stay within the limits of their budget. She corrects him or interrupts him, talks, talks for her husband, is too uh, outspoken to him. She manipulates him to get her way through deceit, tears, begging, nagging, complaints, anger, intimidation. All those are examples of a heart that's not truly desiring to submit to her husband. Well, let's look at uh, the sixth characteristic now, the sixth characteristic of a godly wife, uh, a godly wife respects her husband. And turn over to, to verse 33 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says here, he's talking about, well, actually let me start in verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. That's our goal is oneness. And this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This relationship between the, the husband and the wife is a, is a picture of the relationship between, relationship between Christ and his church. And he says, let each one of you, Love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He's drawing the conclusions there of how each of them pursue the oneness that God is calling them to. That word that's translated respect in the English Standard Version is a very interesting word. Literally, the, the word means to, to, to fear, to be in, in, in awe of or, or reverence of. 
Now, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this, but uh, I think I'm developing uh, othneophobia. Does anyone know what that is? It's the fear of birds, okay? And uh, what's happening is this. We have some very aggressive birds around our home, and I think they're trying to kill me. Um, they, I, I will be outside walking, and all of a sudden, they'll just start swooping at me, and sometimes they'll kind of like make intimidating sounds. And uh, I was out walking the other day, and uh, just I, I let out a, a yelp as they started to attack me. And I think the, neighbor, the birds kind of were laughing, and my neighbors heard me, and it was all very embarrassing. I think I'm going to buy a tiger, and just like I, I want, and just I want them dead. Um, but anyway, that that's the fear that I I kind of this is just surprise uh, intimidation of these vicious canaries. Um, that's not the type of fear that 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 Paul is talking about here. It's not that type of intimidation fear. It's, it's a reverence. It's in awe of. I know what some of you wives are thinking. Awe? Look, uh, <laughs> I've seen this guy without his shirt on. Uh, not a lot of awe going on there. Uh, he's talking about this. He's talking about the sort of respect or, or fear that you'd have for this position, this position that God has placed him in. You say, look, I don't understand oh, maybe why God picked my husband to be in this position, but, but I understand that, that God has, and, and I'm going to, to fight the temptation to, to show contempt toward him. There's a temptation sometimes, and this is not just true of wives, but any of us that find ourselves in submission to another person, there's an attempt, uh, a temptation sometimes to belittle and tear down the people in authority over us. Genesis 3 talks about that in the context of a marriage relationship, Remember? that your desire will be for your husband, God tells Eve. Sometimes this sinful attitude, this desire to, to tear down the person who is an authority over us, for a wife to tear down her husband, betrays itself in, in our speech, in a, in a wife's speech. We talk about our husband as, as kind of the, the, the dopey dad. You know, Can you believe my husband made such a, a, a dumb decision or, or criticizing our, our husband to our family or our friends? And and here's a great test that, that you wives should have for yourself. After a conversation with you, does a person have a greater respect for your husband or less respect? And the goal of a wife should, should be that as a person, in a normal conversation with, with her, that a person would leave that conversation having a, a greater respect, greater esteem, for your husband than when they began that conversation with you. Um, you know, I, I want to be careful. I, I want I, when I give illustrations for my family, I, I generally uh, pick um, you know ones that uh, ones that don't make us look too bad. Uh, I want, but but the, the as Whitney has told me that the downside of using those illustrations is that people think better of us than they they should and. Uh, so let me just preface this illustration with that, but, but let me just kind of also compliment my wife. I believe that she has a, a great ability, a God-given ability, to, to respect me, to respect the position that God has, has placed me in. And, and uh, we've talked about this this past week. If you ever are thinking, how can I get Whitney Bennett to like me? Let me give you a little secret. Tell her how great you think I am. And if you tell her that you think that I'm a nice guy, She's going to think well of you. I pointed this out to her this week. I said, you know, you have an amazing ability to like the people that like me. She goes, well, what's wrong with that? I said, nothing. Keep it up. <laughs> she esteems me. 
And, uh, you know, I know, like I said, I think that's, that's God-given. Here, here's another illustration, okay? And, and uh, again, I don't want to embarrass her. Uh, she is sometimes reluctant to tell me that I've done a good job preaching. And she says the reason she's reluctant to do so is she doesn't want me to get a big head. Well, do you know how big of a head that gives me? My wife thinks I'm such a great preacher that she can't tell me what a great preacher I am because she doesn't want me to get a big head. That's an amazing encouragement to me. That's a God-given esteem, a God-given respect. It's nothing intrinsic. It's something that God has placed within her heart. And, and why, would a, why would a wife desire to do that? Well, here's why. Because she desires to honor God. And as she desires to esteem another person, what she's saying is, I'm going, to, I'm going to make myself less in order to make another person greater. That's something that only God can give a person a desire to do. Just as a, a husband can't pursue oneness by sacrificing of himself and, and seeking the benefit of his wife apart from the, the working of God in his life, so a wife can't pursue oneness and, and can't pursue oneness by seeking the glory of another apart from God radically transforming her life. That's why we say that the gospel is so essential for understanding relationships in the family. A person doesn't have the, the hope of being the type of wife that God has called them to be without understanding the good news of Jesus Christ, without understanding that they were in danger of eternity, they were in line of God's wrath and eternity separated from God, that God recognized that, that God provided the, the penalty, God was not only going to, to punish them, but God provided the perfect substitution for them in the person of Jesus Christ. And as Christ suffered on the cross, he bore God's wrath for us, and a person places their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, based on Christ's death and resurrection. As they place their faith in Jesus Christ alone, a person passes from death into life and has the ability to be the wife or the husband, the young person, the older person that God has called them to be. Wife honors God as she does this. Wives, here's a, here's a great verse. This, uh, this is a, a, a verse I've encouraged my wife to memorize. It's Psalm 45, 2, and it begins, You are the most handsome of all the sons of men. Uh, so if you want to just kind of tape that on your husband's mirror this week, Psalm 45, verse 2. I told my wife to memorize that. She looked it up and she goes, Now, now what's the point of this again? Um, anyway. Um, very, very, very quickly, let's, let's just talk about this, this seventh characteristic here. A godly wife deals with struggles in a God-glorifying manner. And there are some struggles that I believe that some, on average, women who are, are wives struggle with more perhaps than their husbands might. Emotions like, like fear and loneliness sometimes certain types of anger and, and bitterness. These are, are struggles that, that, that a wife goes through, and as I've been thinking about the, the role that, that God has called wives to, I've, I've especially been praying for wives who are, who are in difficult marriages, marriages where the husband is not committed to sacrificial love and sacrificial leadership. And I just encourage wives to think about the example of Jesus Christ as they think about the struggles that they're in. And let me just read 1 Peter chapter 2, talks about the suffering of Jesus Christ. It says this, uh, Christ committed no sin, verse 22. Uh, let me start in verse 21. For to this, for to suffering you have been called, and wives this applies to you as well as to husbands, 
to suffering you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but when, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Uh, be not surprised, wives, be not surprised, all of us, when we encounter suffering. When as we pursue what God has called us to pursue, we encounter people who persecute us because of that. And our example, our model as we go through difficult circumstances is the person of Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting in 1 Peter chapter 2, as he talks about the suffering of Jesus Christ, he immediately follows it with instruction to wives as they suffer in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, that is, like Christ, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And believe you me, it is a difficult thing for me to tell a wife to be submissive to an ungodly husband. The only way I can do it is that God has done it for me. And after talking about the suffering that Christ endured unjustly, he says, likewise, in the same way, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And he goes on from there. Let me close, let me close with a very beautiful story that I believe is a great model for the role that a wife should play in her husband's life. Brian Chapel is a seminary professor, at, and I believe now he's the president at um, Covenant Seminary. He writes about his days as a seminary professor. He says, I was in my first days as a seminary professor. He was in his last days as seminary president. Still, those days at the school and on the, this earth were nearing their completion. Dr. Robert Rayburn, the founding president of Covenant Theological Seminary, had invited my wife and me to his home for dinner. It was his custom to welcome new professors in this way, but the cancer that Dr. Rayburn was fighting made this invitation particularly meaningful to us and difficult for him. Seated at the head of the table, President Rayburn remained the unquestioned authority figure in the house, despite the weakening of his body. His bearing and manner remained almost regal, though his hands quivered a bit when he served each of us our meal. His habit through the years at such dinners was to serve his guests and his wife from a, a side table before taking his own food. Now the cancer had made the movements of the, servant, of the service painful and awkward. Listen to this. The custom continued only because Mrs. Rayburn had stacked our plates on the table near Dr. Rayburn's place and had rolled out a cart with serving dishes next to his chair. He served us because she helped him to do so. But this was, the only beginning of her, this was only the beginning of her service. Throughout the evening, we watched in silent admiration as she preserved his dignity and enabled him to function in a manner appropriate to his position through her deft and subtle gestures. The steadied hand, the occasionally completed sentence, 
the slight movement of an article of furniture that kept him from tripping enabled him to serve us and preserve his honor while they ennobled her. The dignity she provided him became her own since only by her aid did he fulfill his purpose. The events of that evening are forever etched in our minds, the poignant display of the home relationships the Bible promotes. The head of the wife uses his authority to serve others, including his wife. In turn, the wife used her gifts to support that authority, and so her efforts served both him and those he served. As each gave of their selves for the good of the other, each supported and enabled the actions of the other and shared in the other's dignity. Husbands and wives, may each of us pursue oneness in such a way that God's glory is manifest in our homes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that instructs us in how to live. Give us the ability to do these things. May your gospel message proclaim, be proclaimed boldly through our marriages, and may the, the gospel message sink into our own souls. And for those who do not know you, will you allow them to place their faith in you so that they can respond rightly to you in all areas of their life, including, including marriage. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.